Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church as we begin the new year in a new series entitled Stronger. And it's that time of year where we make some New Year's resolutions. So let me just take a quick poll here. I just want to show of hands if you have ever at some time in your life made a New Year's resolution. Just let me see those high. There they are. Okay, now up again, if you've ever thought about taking it, doing a New Year's resolution. Okay, a couple more. All right, how about this? Anybody make a New Year's resolution this year? Okay, maybe a handful of you. There you go. There, you can be proud of that. You're not alone. About half of Americans, in adult, uh, half of our adult Americans, make a New Year's resolution or a couple New Year's resolutions. Now, they usually fall off right around mid-January. But apparently, statistically speaking, people that make New Year's resolutions are 10 times more likely to attain their goals than people who don't. And some of the sort of typical or uh, New Year's resolutions that most people make have to do with losing weight, exercising more, quitting smoking, getting out of debt, spending more time with the family, or getting back into school, getting education. That's sort of the typical New Year's resolutions. No one writes down on their New Year's resolutions that I want to gain weight, right? I don't know if anybody writes that down, or I want to lose muscle, right? Or I want to flunk out of school. You know, I just want to have superficial relationships with my friends and family. You know, no one, no one writes that down on their New Year's resolutions because we all want to be stronger. We want to have stronger relationships with our families. We want to have stronger relationships with our, with our friends. We want to have a stronger body, a sharper mind. We want to have a stronger next year. That's why we make New Year's resolutions. That's why we want to have a better or stronger Life, all of us, whether we write down a resolution or not, want to grow stronger. We want this next year to be better than the last year. We want to have stronger relationships, a stronger body, a sharper mind, and a stronger faith. No one here this morning is hoping that you have a weaker faith next year. And the question that we're thinking about today and over the next few weeks is simply this. What would it look like to have a stronger faith. What are some of the things that God uses to make our faith stronger? And what if we could align ourselves with the things that God uses so that our faith would be stronger this year than it was last year? Because throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus often rebuking the disciples of their weak faith, of their small faith faith. Everywhere we turn in the book of Matthew, Jesus is, is teaching, is rebuking his disciples, saying, your faith is so small, your faith is so weak. And in Matthew, when Jesus is just teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he explains to his disciples how God's going to provide for their needs. So there's no need to worry about anything. And Jesus said this, he says, if that's how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today, and is tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then there's this phrase, O you of little faith. Jesus says it again when, when his disciples are at sea and there's this big storm that goes under the sea and they're, they're afraid. They don't know if they're going to live or die. And Jesus rebukes the waves and then he rebukes his disciples and he says this, O you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He gets up and rebukes the winds and the waves. And when Jesus is walking on water and, and Peter's in the boat, he says, Peter, come out on the boat. And Peter's actually walking on the water, but then he starts to sink. Jesus says it again. Peter, oh you 
of little faith. He reaches out his hand. He caught him. says, oh, you of little faith. Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt me, Peter? And then even in the feeding of the 5,000s, when his disciples are talking to each other about how are we going to feed all these people, Jesus says it again. He's aware of their discussion. He asks them, oh, you of little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Over and over and over again, we read Jesus telling his disciples, you have such small faith. You have such weak faith. And the question that we want to ask and answer is, what would it look like to have big faith? What would it look like to have strong faith? What are some of the things that God uses to strengthen our faith? And, and, uh, and there's a story in the New Testament about a man with great faith, with strong faith. And he's not the type of person that you would think of. It's not one of the disciples. It's not Peter. You know, it's not John after seeing the empty tomb. It's not Philip after feeding the 5,000. It's a man that you wouldn't expect. It's a man that you wouldn't predict as a person of strong faith, of great faith. But his story is found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. It's page 962 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. But Jesus has just got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's illustrating what it means to have strong faith or great faith. And he tells this story. Matthew tells a story about a man with great faith, with strong faith. And this is a picture for us as we think about this next year of what it would look like for us to have strong faith. Faith, Matthew, chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to start on verse 1, set the context. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He says, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. This is a man with great faith. This is a man who sees Jesus as the person that can heal him. And you may remember verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He says, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. A beautiful miracle of a man healed from leprosy because of his faith in Jesus. But this is not the man with great faith. The story continues, verse 5. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, a centurion, as you can imagine, is a Roman soldier. He's a man of battle. He's a man of war, of strength, and of power. And a centurion is where we get the word century. And this Roman soldier over, was over 100 soldiers. He was in charge of, a, of 100 soldiers. He was a captain in the Roman army. And if you remember, the Israelites were not on the best terms with the Romans. The Jews considered the Romans the enemies. They were the bad guys. They were the invaders. They were the ones that have come and occupied their land. The Jews hated the Romans. They despised the Romans. They were the enemies. They were the pagans. They were the ones that you, would, you hated and you certainly never helped. But when Jesus entered Capernaum, this city alongside the Sea of Galilee, this centurion came up to Jesus. The enemy came up to Jesus asking for help. Verse 6, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. My servant is sick. My servant is suffering. My servant is paralyzed and he needs 
help. Now, I'm sure if the disciples, if we can get into the minds of the disciples, they were probably thinking, you know, I'm glad he's sick. You know, I'm glad he's suffering. You know, I hope what he's got is contagious and that you got it and that you spread it because we hate the Romans. We're expecting the Messiah to come back and overthrow the Roman government. We don't want to help the Romans. The tension is thick. What will Jesus do? Will he heal this man and help the enemy? Or will he allow God's suffering, God's punishment upon Rome and this suffering servant? Well, Jesus replies, verse 7. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. I will go. I will go to your home or wherever your servant is at, and I will heal him to the centurion's delight and the disciples' dismay. Jesus says, yes, I care about this suffering servant. I will go and heal your servant. And the centurion replies in such a beautiful way, so instructive for those of us that want to have a stronger faith this next year in 2012. He says this, the centurion replied, verse 8, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say a word and my servant will be healed. I don't deserve you to enter into my presence, enter into my home. I'm I'm a soldier. I've done some really bad things. I mean, I'm over a hundred soldiers. I tell them what to do and they do it. I've done so. I'm a sinner. I know I'm wrong. I don't deserve you to come under my roof, to come into the presence of my home. See, sometimes I think, particularly those of us that have been in the church for a while, we think we deserve things from God because of what we've done. And and the centurion doesn't have that attitude at all. He says, I don't deserve you to come into my home. I know I've done some bad things. I know that that some of the things that I've done are wrong and, and and are, are, are distant. They distance me from you. And I don't deserve for you to come into my presence. But then he says, just say a word. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. You're so powerful. You don't even have to come to my home. You just have to say a word. You can do this remotely, wirelessly. You know, you, you can do this in a way that you don't even have to lift a finger. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. Do you hear the faith? of this centurion, this pagan man. Do you hear the trust in Jesus? In substance, he's saying, Jesus, I've been watching you. I've seen how you've healed people. I've heard about how you've raised the dead. You are a man of authority and power. And you are so strong, you don't even have to come into my house. You can just say a word and, and he'll be healed. Besides, I don't even want you in my presence. You're holy. You're powerful. You don't even have to. I'm not worthy to have you enter into the presence of my home. And then the centurion gives an explanation for this great faith that he has in Jesus. He says this. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. He says, I myself am a person under authority. Meaning, Jesus, you and I have something in common here. I have authority, and I've been watching you. And I've been watching how you heal people, how you raise the dead, how you feed people. And you have authority. You you have authority over sickness and death. You have command over the things that we live under. 
And I myself am under authority. I got these hundred guys, these, these hundred soldiers. And I say, come and they come. I say, do this and they do this. And they do it. Whatever I say they must do, I understand authority. And I, I am under the authority of Rome. See, these Roman soldiers, they don't listen to me because I'm really strong or I'm really smart or because I'm really mean. They listen to me because I am under the authority of Rome. And I don't know what authority you're under. I don't know whose authority you live under. All I know is that sickness and death hear you and flee and do whatever you say just like soldiers listen to me and do whatever I say. So you're a person of authority. And I see how sickness and death obey your commands just like these soldiers obey mine. And I don't know authority you're under. All I know is that it's powerful. All I know is that you have command over sickness and death. And you don't even have to lift a finger. You don't even have to go into my home. You can say a word and my servant will be healed. And then Jesus responds to this centurion. And it's so reflective of the values of the kingdom. Jesus says this, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. He was amazed. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He was amazed. He was astonished. The Greek word is thumazo. He he was overwhelmed. He was flabbergasted. He was amazed and astonished at this Roman soldier's faith. This pagan guy with a hundred men under his authority, with power and influence, but he recognized the authority of Jesus. He realized he was in the presence of greatness, and he had no business being there. He didn't deserve to be in the presence of God, and he humbly submitted to his power. And he asked Jesus for help. And then he said to his disciples, look at this centurion. I haven't seen in Israel, the people that know the scriptures, that know the Torah, I haven't seen people in Israel with such great faith as him. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to be like him. I want you to to recognize my authority. I want you to realize that you're standing in the presence of greatness. You You don't deserve to be in my presence. And I want you to humbly submit to my power. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to be like this Roman soldier because he has great faith. I haven't seen faith like him in in anywhere in Israel. He nudges Peter. He pushes John. He says, that's what I want you to be like because that's what great faith is. That's a life of great faith. This centurion soldier, this Gentile saw Jesus. And he says, you've got power. You've got authority. And he he didn't know the Torah He wasn't even allowed into the temple for worship. He just recognized who Jesus is and he put his faith, he put his trust in Jesus. He was a man of great faith. And I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are this year. Maybe you've written them down or maybe you're still thinking about them. Maybe you want to lose weight or have a sharper mind or or, or stronger relationships. But Jesus' resolution for you this year is that you'd have a great faith. It's the same way that he nudged his disciples. He's nudging us today. He says, that's what I want you to be like. I want you to 
Humbly submit to my power. I want you to recognize that you're in the presence of greatness, that you don't deserve to be in my presence. And I want you to submit to my power and ask me to do something great in your life. To trust me. To, to, to hold out to me. To ask me to do the impossible, to heal somebody in your home or your family. See, that's what Jesus wants for us this year. To be people of great faith. To be people of strong faith. To be people whose faith is growing stronger. You see, faith is both a gift and a muscle. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift that we receive when we believe we put our trust in Jesus. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we work for. Our faith is a gift not on what we do, but what Christ has done for us. But it's also a muscle. A muscle. It's not like a real physical muscle, but it's like a muscle in that it can be weak and it can be strong. It can be big and it can be little. And throughout the scriptures, we see people that have strong faith and others that have weak faith. And Jesus says, I want you to have strong faith. I want you to grow in your faith. See, the question that we're asking this morning is not, does God want our faith to grow stronger? Because clearly he does. I mean, he points to the centurion and he says, this is what I want you to be like. It's not, do, does God want our faith to be stronger? The question is, do we? Do we want our faith to grow stronger this next year? Because Jesus does. Jesus nudges us like he nudges those disciples. He says, look at this centurion. He, he, he didn't know the Christmas story. He certainly didn't know the Easter story because Jesus hadn't died and resurrected again. And yet he points to him, he says, this centurion, he recognized my authority. He realized he was in the presence of greatness and he didn't deserve God's presence in his life. And he humbly submitted to God's power. And he asked for help. He says, that's great faith. That's what I want you to be like. That's how I want you to live in this life at this time. He says, points to the centurion. He says, this is a person of great faith. And that's who I want you to be like. That's what I want. So the question that we're seeking to answer over the next five weeks is not, does God want us to have great faith? But do we? Do we want to have a faith that's stronger? And what are the things that God uses to strengthen our faith? And what can we do to align ourselves with what God uses to strengthen our faith? Because I think all of us here this morning want to have a stronger faith. Am I right? All of us here this morning want to have a deeper trust in God. But what are the things that God uses to strengthen our faith? Well, I believe there's five things. And over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about each one of these things individually. But there are probably more. And after I go through these five things, you're probably going to think of another five, and that's okay. But after I've studied the scriptures and after I've interacted with Pastor Craig and other staff and other pastors... And after I've listened to over a hundred, hundreds of, of faith journeys, faith stories, I believe there are, there are at least five things that God uses to strengthen our faith. Five things that we can be aware of as we seek to not only develop our own faith, but come alongside our children or our friends or our coworkers and help their faith grow stronger. Well, there are five things. There are not five commands. There's not five rules. There are not five things you must do to be a better Christian, to be a good Christian. These are just five observations. These are just five themes that emerge in the life of people of great faith. These are just five things that God uses 
to strengthen our faith. Here they are, these five. Useful biblical teaching. God uses the scriptures. And then provident, or, uh, spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. Providential people, sacrificial service, and defining moments. These are five things that God uses to make our faith strong, to make our faith right. Useful teaching. Where is it written? The, the scriptures, not you know, an unusual thing that we can think of that God might use to strengthen our faith. It's the Bible. And as we read the Scriptures, God's Word comes alive. We can hear from Him and we can do what He has called us to do. The Scriptures, useful biblical teaching. There's one thing that God uses to strengthen our faith. We're going to talk about that next week. That's why you have in your program a, a, a soap devotional guide to help you engage in the study of the Scriptures on a daily basis. Next is spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. Maybe you've engaged in some of these spiritual disciplines as you look back in your spiritual journey. Maybe it's fasting or prayer or tithing or some spiritual discipline that you personally engage in that strengthens your faith. It deepens your trust in God. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. The third one is providential people. These are the relationships that we have. If you look back in your spiritual journey, you can just say, you know, it just felt like God placed that person in my life. I was going through college, I was going through a difficult time, and God used this person to speak into my life. There's just providential people, these providential relationships, these people in my community group, these people that helped me in my time of need. God used them to strengthen my faith. The, third is sac- or the fourth is sacrificial service. This is where we come to the understanding that we're part of something great. And that God has given us a gift to contribute for the sake of others. That we're not here just for ourselves to meet our own needs, but to meet the needs of others. And that when we engage in the service of others, when we do things for the sake of others, we're aware of God's kingdom coming in us and through us. And we hear feedback from people saying, you know what, when you volunteer as that youth leader or when you reached out in the children's ministry or when you were on that missions trip, God used you to strengthen my faith. And that just does something to us. It strengthens our... That's what God uses to strengthen our faith. And the final one is these defining moments. These are those circumstances, those pivotal circumstances in your life, the good and the bad. The good things, you're getting married. The good things, you graduate from college. The good things, you have a child. And you say, wow, God, you're at work in my life. But it's also the bad things. You get cancer, you lose your job, or some, some tragedy happens in your life. And God uses the things that we consider the worst, for, to, to, the worst parts of our life for the best parts of our faith. That somehow God can transform some of those really deep and painful things into something that's good and beautiful and it strengthens our faith. These are five things that God uses to strengthen our faith. It's not five commands, it's not five rules, it's not five things you must do. These are just five observations, five themes. After reading the scriptures, interacting with people, hearing other church leaders and, 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 and listening to people's faith journey, we say these are five things. Five things that we can be aware of this next year for our own faith, but also as we seek to develop the faith of our children or our grandchildren or of our neighbors 
Because, hey, have you ever tried engaging in spiritual habits? Or, you know, this is a really difficult time. God might use this in your life for something good. To be aware of how God is at work in the lives of the people that we love. These are just five things for us to be aware of to strengthen our faith. And isn't that what you want this next year? A stronger faith? A deeper connection with the living God? The centurion, this Roman pagan guy. He didn't know the scriptures. He, he, he couldn't enter into the temple to worship. Jesus pointed to him. He says, he's got great faith. He says, out of all of Israel, I haven't seen such a faith as great as him. I want you to live like him. That when you get into a difficult circumstance, as your servant is sick or your friend is sick and, and he's paralyzed and suffering, you have a God that you can turn to. You have a God that you can trust. You have a God that hears your prayers and will help you in your time of need. And isn't that the point of faith? Strong faith is not, look at me, you know, look at my muscles, you know, hey, I've got some strong faith pipes. You know, that's not strong faith. That's not saying, you know, I can't believe those people don't believe in Jesus. That's not strong faith. Strong faith is just the opposite. Strong faith is what what the centurion did. He recognized God's power and authority. He realized he was in the presence of greatness and he didn't deserve to be there. And he humbly submitted himself to God. That's strong faith. Paul, the apostle, said it so well when he wrote this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, what does it say there? Then I am strong. When I am weak, when I realize left to myself, I can't lose the weight. When I realize left to my own strength, I can't love the people in my life that have hurt me. Nonetheless, my enemies. When I realize that I am weak, that I can't do it, then, and only then, am I stronger. Then can I live a life of faith, of trust in the living God. When I realize that that my good deeds can't outweigh my bad ones and they separate me from a holy God, and I put my faith in Jesus, then I am stronger. When I realize that my limited amount of time is too overwhelming and I need God to come in and help me to use my time wisely, then I am stronger. When I realize that, that my, 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 the, the people that have hurt me are really, really hard to forgive. And I put my faith in God, just Jesus, just as you have forgiven me, so I can forgive the people that have hurt me. Then I am stronger. When I realize that I'm weak, and I'm broken, that I'm a sinful man. That's when Jesus comes in and makes me stronger. And I can't think of a better way to start the new year than to admit that we're weak, that we're broken, that we don't deserve to be in the presence of God on a Sunday morning starting off the new year. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of the cross, we can enter into the presence of a holy God. 
We can interact with him in, in a trusting and loving way. And we can humbly submit ourselves to him and say, you are great. You are glorious. I need you to make my faith stronger. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We're so thankful for the instructions in your word. We're so thankful that you don't give up on us. That you desire in us even more than we desire in our own hearts a faith that is stronger. And we ask that you would use the things that make our faith strong. But this morning, we just want to recognize your authority and power. And we humbly submit ourselves to you. We realize that we are in the presence of greatness and we don't deserve to be here. But because of the cross, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we enter this time of worship with gratitude, with praise, with worship of our great and holy God. We thank you for this past year. We look forward to this next year in ways that you will strengthen our faith as individuals and as a church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you recognize God's power and authority in your life. May you humbly submit to him. And may he make your faith stronger. In Jesus' name, amen.